Songs have always accompanied a relationship with God. I don't know if you know this, but in Zephaniah 3, it says that God is a singing God. He sings over us. So he, he initiates everything. God is the creator. It all starts in him. And what God does, we replicate. Uh, we do the same thing. So we sing, not because it's just something that cool churches do in the UK now. We sing because it's a biblical mandate, and it's something that God's people have always done. There's always been a song in our hearts. But as I've looked at worship and as I've studied worship and I've thought about it more and more so as song worship, I've realized that there's seasons of songs. There's songs for particular seasons in the life of local churches. A few years ago, we had a lot of songs around identity. We were singing lots of things, you know, I'm no longer a slave, songs like that. Uh, last year, we were singing songs like Who You Say I Am, and we were responding again to the identity that God places on us. I don't know if you've noticed in more recent times, but we've started to pick up battle songs. Um, there's songs that we sang a couple this morning. Um, we sang this morning, I'll Raise a Hallelujah. And uh, we sing a song called Surrounded. This is how I fight my battles. Well, today I want to give you a little bit of biblical context for why we sing battle songs. What are battle songs? What do we do when we sing those songs? But above and beyond the song, I want us to give a bit of context of how for you and I, we are to live as believers, as Christians, when we face battles. You see, Jesus said um, that, well, he didn't say in any way that you're going to be immune from battles, okay? The part of the Christian walk, actually, as Paul says, is that I celebrate the persecution. I celebrate the things that come my way because, actually, in my weakness, then I'm strong. So we are not immune from facing stuff in our lives. And I want today to draw you to a portion of Scripture, part of the Bible, uh, in the Old Testament, maybe a passage that you've not read before. And we're going to read a number of verses this morning. I'm going to kind of give you a synopsis of the story. And we're going to read about a king called Jehoshaphat. And this king faces a battle that he, hasn't, he has no need to fight. This battle is a battle that God already wins for him. But there's some stages and some steps that he takes that I think are keys and principles for you and I that whenever we face a battle, we can stand on these truths and actually walk through it with God at the center of our journey. So let's pray before we read this scripture. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you it's living and true. And today as we open it and we um, study it, I pray, Lord, that you'll find us as a body of people with receptive hearts to receive what you want to say to us. I ask, oh God, that you'll open our ears, you'll open our eyes, and you'll open our hearts today to hear the, what the word that you have for us. I pray, Lord, you'll help me. Give me the right words to say, the words that you want to uh, impart into our lives. And I pray for each of my friends here today. You'll give us a spirit to receive in this place. In your mighty and precious name. Amen. Wonderful. It's going to come up on screen. If you're following, we're in 2 Chronicles, uh, chapter 20. And we're going to read the first 30 verses, or at least the synopsis of it. So if you're studying it from your Bible, we're going to miss out a few verses, predominantly the ones with lots of names in. And then we're going to... Um, so it'll be up here on the screen. And you'll have to be very clever because it's cut off the first letter of each word. So we'll see how we go. 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verses 1 to 30. After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites with some of the Menites came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. Alarmed. Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. 
Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard and said, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand and no one can withstand you. But now here are men from Ammon, Moab and Mount Seir. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance. Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. All the men of Judah with their wives and children and little ones stood there before the Lord. Then the spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, as he stood in the assembly. And then Jehaziel says this, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. You will not have to face or you'll not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out and face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord. Then some Levites from the Kohathites and the Korahites uh, stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out to the head of the army saying, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. And as they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah and they were defeated. When the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert and looked towards the vast army, they saw only dead bodies lying on the ground. No one had escaped. So Jehoshaphat and his men went to carry off their plunder. There was so much plunder that it took three days to collect it. On the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Baraka, where they praised the Lord. Then, led by Jehoshaphat, all the men of Judah and Jerusalem returned joyfully to Jerusalem, for the Lord had given them cause to rejoice over their enemies. They entered Jerusalem and went to the temple of the Lord with harps and lyres and trumpets. We're going to leave it there this morning. I don't know if in your life you've ever had a moment like Jehoshaphat where you've awoken in the morning and you've heard a phrase in similar, even if the words are different, there is a vast army coming against you. Sometimes that looks like a medical diagnosis. Sometimes it looks like a relationship breakdown. Sometimes it looks like a financial crisis. But in this season of your life, there's a vast army coming against you. For many of you, you've walked through seasons like that. For some of you, you're in a season right now just like that. For some of you, you've perhaps not yet had to walk through one. So maybe this word is a word of preparation for you. I remember uh, in 1998, uh, 1997, uh, just after Valentine's Day, uh, being awoken by a knock at my door. I was a student at the time. I was living on Bailgate. And uh, on that morning, I was awoken by my fiance at the time. who was knocking on the front door. And uh, she woke me up because my mum and dad wanted to call me. And they wanted to call me because they had some news for me. And the news was that my uncle, who uh, I would liken more to a big brother, really, he lived a lot of his life with us in our house. 
and spent a lot of his time with us. And I really looked up to him as a role model. And he, we heard that day that he died in a helicopter crash. He was a RAF pilot and died in a helicopter crash that day. And just in that moment of time, that piece of news felt like there's a vast army coming against you. It's something that takes the wind out of your sails or leaves you winded, that moment of time. And for many of us, we've had moments like that, diagnosis or particular relational breakdowns or financial crisis. But I believe there's some principles through this passage that we've read today that if we can understand them and if we can begin to adopt them into our lives, that we can stand firm through seasons such as that. We can continue walking, knowing that he's gone before us and that he's won the battle for us. And uh, I believe today this is a word for you in season, for some of you. It's a word of confirmation for some of you who've walked through seasons like that in your past. And it's a word of preparation for many of us who've yet to face to walk through seasons like that. So a little bit of background. Jehoshaphat, he's a king. He's a king at this moment of time. But he's been a Levitical priest. So he was one of the guys who walked with the Ark of the Covenant. So he understands what it is to be a worshipper. He understands what it is to be close to the presence of God. He understands what it is to actually carry the presence of God. I wonder what that would have felt like to be a carrier of the presence of God. But he's a king. And he's a king at an age of 35. He rules for about 25 years. He's a wise king, and he's a king with vast armies and great sense of success. And then he wakes this morning, and a number of people come and gather around him and says, there's a vast army coming against you from a variety of tribes. They're coming to steal from you, to rob, to destroy what is yours. And they're coming to take uh, away from you. And today, I think there's six things that Jehoshaphat shows us, that you and I can adopt into our lives, that actually we can say, we're going to walk with our heads held high, no matter what season, if it's a season of battle, we adopt these principles, we can walk strong with God right at the center of it all. The first one is this, stand firm. In verse 12, it says this, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And then in verse 17, it says this, take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out and face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. The position that you and I take as children of God is vitally important for our walk with God. And you can make a decision right now today as a follower of Christ to say, I'm going to position myself, no matter what happens in my life, to stand firm. It's a decision that you make. It's not a decision you make in the midst of battle. Standing firm is difficult if you've not made the decision before the battle. It's much better to make the decision in your heart and to resolve it. No matter what comes my way, I'm going to stand firm. I'm going to keep my eyes fixed on the one who is steadfast and true. I'm going to surround myself with a community of faith. I'm going to begin right now to make a decision that I will stand firm no matter what comes my way. That whole area of positioning yourself starts with getting the right perspective. That's what it said here in verse 12. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are fixed on you. I once heard a story of a naval captain who was training some of the uh, new recruits first time out on the ships. And um, one of the recruits had terrible seasickness. 
And as part of the seasickness, uh, the captain came alongside and said, you know, there is a trick you can do when you're on a sea that is rolling from side, uh, on a boat that is rolling from side to side. And that is to fix your eyes upon the horizon. Because the horizon is steadfast. It doesn't change. It doesn't move. Even though your circumstances, your present circumstances are moving from left to right. Fix your eyes upon the horizon. Get your eyes on something that is steadfast and true. Fix your eyes on something that is unmoving and the sickness will pass. And there's an incredible principle for you and I as those who walk with God. Fix our eyes on the steadfast one. Fix our eyes on the one who is our firm foundation. We just sang that great song, I will build my life upon a firm foundation, on a rock, a solid rock on which we stand. And choose today, no matter what comes my way, I will stand firm. Do you know what? You can stand firm, not because of your circumstances, but you can stand firm because of the foundational presence and nature of our God. Let me just preach some scripture out and just remind us of the character and nature of God. He's our rock. He's a fortress. He's a strong tower and a defender. Do you need to hear that today in your circumstances? He's a hope and he's our deliverer. He's our refuge and our strength and our song. He's steadfast, he's unchanging, he's alpha, the beginning, and omega, the end. It all holds together in our God. So the decision to stand firm is something you can make today in your heart. Point number two of our principles to live in the victory. This is how we fight our battles. Pray and pray corporately. I loved what Angela brought a second ago. An initiative for you and I to stand together and pray. Every single day, five minutes past 12. Just imagine if all of us adopted that tomorrow. We all said, actually, at five past 12, the power of that moment of time is incredible. But you get a decision to make. We're either in or we're out. We get a decision. Okay, I'm going to set an alarm. You could do it right now. Get your phone out and set an alarm for Monday at 12.05. And you can say, I'm going to give five minutes. Just where I drop everything, I'm going to pray. I just love that because one of the incredible principles that Jehoshaphat shows us here is to pray corporately. Verse 3 says this, alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord. And he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. The people of Judah came together and sought help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. So they joined together. And they fasted and they prayed. This sense of actually, God, we don't know what to do, but we're going to talk to you about it. We're going to place your agenda at the center of our agenda. I don't know whether your first inkling when facing a battle is to pray. Maybe your first inkling is to try and solve it yourself. But actually, here we note that actually the greatest route through any battle is to pray and pray corporately. That's what the power of Connect Group is all about. It's when we stand together, we pray for one another. That's why teams work so brilliantly in church. It's not just about getting a job done being in a team. It's about a body of believers being together, standing with one another, praying for each other. That's why intercessory prayer is so powerful. So decide right now that whenever we walk through a battle, we're going to pray corporately. I love Alive Hike and how you've modeled that with Andrew Wright and how you've modeled walking together and praying corporately. I love the journey that you've taken, and the journey that you've said, actually, we're all in this. We're all going to walk through this season together, and you've put prayer right at the center of it. I just want to stand in front of you and uh, want to say to you, well done.
He did great through that season. And whilst in the natural, the battle looks like it wasn't won. The battle has been won. We're going to remind ourselves about this in a few minutes' time. The victory has already been claimed on the cross by Jesus Christ. And in this moment of time, of course there's mourning and there's pain and there's hardship. I know we understand that and compassionately we want to speak into that. But I also want us to lift our eyes and remember that Christ has won the battle against all sickness upon the cross. And Andrew is now pain-free. He is sickness-free. He is with his Saviour. He is living a joyful life full of uh, the presence of God. And we celebrate that today as well. So we pray corporately. Let me remind you, actually, Angela preached this already. Okay, Acts chapter 12 says this. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. From that point forward, Peter was released from prison. This is incredible sense because of the power of church praying. And Matthew 18, let me remind you of the power of prayer. Matthew 18, verse 19, Jesus' words say this. Again, I truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. If you want to um, see results, then we have to start asking for it and start praying and interceding for it. The final thing to say on prayer is there are some weights that you're not designed to carry on your own. There are some things that you and I are just not designed to carry individually. When I was a young boy uh, in infant school, I remember not a lot about my infant schooling, but I do remember a visit from a fire engine. And I said, I don't know, I must have been five or six, something like that. And the fire engine came, and all my classmates got to go through the cab of the fire engine. I got the important task of standing in front of the cab of the fire engine, holding the fireman's axe. And um, I remember standing here, and it was, I don't know, the axe must have been about as big as I was. It kind of was huge. Um, And I stood there with the head of the axe on the floor, and then the the arm, whatever you call that bit, of the axe, up and holding the top of that. And I saw all my friends go through the cab, and then I realized my arms are starting to ache, and I realized that this is starting to get heavy. And uh, being the sensitive soul that I am, I just started crying. And uh, that was my appropriate response to holding an axe in that moment of time. I started to burst into tears. And the teacher then did something um, that has obviously stuck with me, because I'm now preaching from it 40-odd years later. Um, she invited a couple of friends to come and share the load of that axe, holding that with me. And immediately, there's just this sense of, it's better now. We're doing this together. Reminded me of Aaron and her. Well, not at the time, because I didn't know about Aaron and her. But it reminded me of Moses, who had his arms raised by Aaron and her. This sense of when we do this together, when we stand corporately and we stand alongside one another, life is easier. When we walk in community together with prayer at the center of it. So pray corporately. So make a decision today to stand and then pray corporately. Thirdly, seek a word from God. The word of God is living, active and true. Um, the way you get a word from God is to absorb yourself in his written word. He does speak through the, pro- the prophetic and prophets today. We understand that. But he is speaking all the time through his living word. So adopt a practice and principle of absorbing yourself in his word. Allow it to speak to you. Allow it to read you. Because it becomes a powerful weapon in your hand when you can counteract the facts of life that are thrown at you with the truth 
of God's word. This is what our passage today said in verse 14 to 17. Then the spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, and all the other sons and names of. And he said, listen, King Jehoshaphat, and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Whenever you face a vast army or a battle, to hear the word of the Lord that says this is not a battle you have to face. This is not yours. The battle belongs to the Lord. That does something that equips you in that very moment of time that you can hold on to and you can walk through the next set of days, months, years of that moment of time knowing that he's spoken something. And the word of God is true. It is true. The facts that you face have to be submitted to the word of God. The name of Jesus is high above every other name. At his name, every other name must bow its knee to the name of Jesus. That means your battles that you're facing have to bow their knee to the name of Jesus. His name is over those. He is the sovereign one. He's victorious. He is over all things. Everything comes under his lordship. Sometimes we just need to remind those things of who he is. Sometimes we have to remind our mountain, speak to your mountain and it be moved. We have to remind it of who he is. But our culture and our day, the time that we live in, wants to rob us of that. It screams at us the facts. Social media, the uh, going to the doctors, uh, opening your bank statements, all of those things scream to us facts. We have to remind those facts there is a truth, and there is a truth that is higher than the facts that we face. So get to know the word. Allow it to absorb itself into you and you be absorbed with it, because that will then arise within you. That's why worship songs and singing worship is so powerful. Because it gives you a soundtrack and a narrative to come back to in the middle of the week. You know, if you face a redundancy on Wednesday, or you face that piece of news, you need to have a song within you that reminds you that God is for you. And therefore, who can stand against you? It reminds you that he's your provider. It reminds you that he is the one who's gone before you into this moment of time. Something happens in a week or so's time. You need to have a song or a scripture with a word of God that you can cling to and say, no, this is what God says in this moment of time. So seek a word from the Lord. Proverbs 4 says this in verses 20 to 22. My son or my daughter, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to one whole, one's whole body. If you're looking for life and health, I can encourage you today. Go to the Word of God and begin to build a pattern of reading it. So take five minutes a day, start there, and begin to bring that into your whole world so that the Word of God becomes the truth on which you stand. So today, first three, stand, make a choice to stand, pray corporately, seek a word from God. And the final three, all run into the back of one another, praise Praise is an incredibly powerful tool. I love that song, This Is How I Fight My Battles. Um, but it leaves me a little bit confused if I don't have a theological background for fighting my battles. Because we make a statement, this is how I fight my battles. And unless you've got something that you know, actually, how do I fight my battles? 
it's a bit of a pointless statement. If you sing, this is how I fight my battles, but then have to go and face a battle without being equipped or without carrying the the right weapons or the right armor, it's a a pointless song to sing. It's just a nice little trite little phrase that we sing in, in sung worship. But if we can begin to understand some of these principles, when you stand and sing, this is how I fight my battles, and you understand that praise is an incredible tool in your armory of fighting a battle, then all of a sudden things begin to click into place. Verses 20 to 22 says this, Early in the morning they left from the desert of, or for the desert of Tekoa. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets and you will be successful. And after consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army. I want us to get our heads around this a little bit. So this is before they faced an army. This is before they faced a battle. They know the character and nature of God and they're trusting in the word of the Lord, but they're still got a battle to face. So they don't know at the moment that they're not going to need to draw their swords or actually physically fight. They don't know what the outcome is, but their first thing, they fast and they pray, and then they begin to praise. They begin to sing songs of praise and adoration. They begin to lift their voices. So one of the things, whenever a piece of news is faced, whenever that a vast army is coming against us, one of our go-to places, the tools that we have, is praise. Praising God. Praising God now in our New Testament understanding because of the victory of the cross. Jehoshaphat didn't have the um, beauty of that. He modeled something without the victory of the cross before him. We get the beauty of the full picture. We get the beauty of the full message of the Bible. We get to fully understand that the victor has already won. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. Seated, being seated, is a physical positioning to say, I don't need to do any more to claim the victory. It's been done. So our positional standing is to bring praise to Christ, Jesus, because of what he has done. One of our problems in our culture is we're so feeling-led We're so emotionally driven that actually sometimes, do I want to praise today? Do I feel like I want to praise? I don't necessarily feel like it this morning. As someone was saying from the worship team this morning, do you feel a bit tired or do you feel, I think it's Matt, wasn't it? Or do you feel like the week's been a bit bad? You know, I've got to to kind of stir myself. As David says, you know, um, bless the Lord, O my soul, all that was within me. It's not just a new thing. But actually, our worship and our praise and our adoration isn't built on how we feel. It's not built on my circumstances. It's built on the finished work of the cross. It's built on what Jesus has already accomplished for us. It's built on the truth of who he is and what he has done. His character and his nature and his victorious victory upon the cross. And song worship then becomes a reminder to ourselves and a reminder to our culture that there is one who's victorious. And when we praise in any circumstances, we remind those circumstances that there is one who's victorious over these circumstances. Praise becomes a powerful weapon. You know, praise might be for you. It might be spoken word. Praise might be for you some other form of creativity. Praise for many of you is musical, but praise for you who are tone deaf, it isn't. Okay, praise for you can be the way that you walk into your workplace 
each and every week. Praise for some of you will be exercise. You'll be out running or you'll be out cycling and you'll be uh, adoring Christ because you're in his creation. Praise might be in your family. Praise might be the way that you live with your kids and the way that you live with your spouse. Praise can be in multiple ways of outworking your life before God. But don't be people who stop praising. And don't praise solely because of circumstances. Praise because of the finished work of the cross. Darlene Check says this about praise, and I think this is a great quote. If you've got your camera phones, you might want to just take a picture of this. Praise is a declaration, a victory cry, proclaiming faith to stand firm in the place God has given you. Praise is a proclamation that the enemy's intent to plunder you will not rock you. Praise declares that you will not be moved by the enemy's attempt to snatch you away. Praise extends beyond what you feel, how your week has been, how your day has been, whether you have, been, whether you have much or little. It allows you to go straight to the magnificent reality of Christ, our glorious Lord and King of Kings. And our final couple of points today. Six principles for learning to live in the victory. Number five, remember the battle belongs to the Lord. I've referenced it all the way through today. But it says this in verse 15, do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army for the battle is not yours but God's. Then verse 22, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah and they were defeated. So in verse 15, God says something to the people. In verse 22, he carries it out. You know, the word of God never returns void. When God says something, he always carries it out. So when you've sought a word from God and you've received that word for your circumstance and your present moment of time, remember, of course, Jesus is the word of God. So Jesus is literally the incarnation of the word of God. So it's all been said in Christ. It's all been done. So God is always carrying it out. So we stand on that truth. He is always active, always carrying out his word. But here we get to see it beautifully modeled. In verse 15, he says it. In verse 22, seven verses later, it's done, finished, completed. The people didn't have to fight any battle themselves. The Lord set ambushes against his people. He wiped out tribes because of his word to those who are faithful to who he was. The battle has been won. Jesus is victorious. And our final point. So once we've remembered the battle belongs to the Lord, our final point is this. And now rejoice. And now rejoice. So we've praised, we've remembered, and now we rejoice. Verse 27 says this, Then, led by Jehoshaphat, all the men of Judah and Jerusalem returned joyfully to Jerusalem. For the Lord had given them cause to rejoice over their enemies. Our world desperately needs a rejoicing church. It desperately needs a church to rejoice. So to understand joy and to keep doing it and doing it and doing it. Our world, our culture needs the vibrancy of a rejoicing church. Now that's not solely in the gathered church. That's also in the scattered church. Our world desperately needs you and I as servants of Christ to be rejoicing people wherever we are, to face the world that we walk into with a rejoicing spirit made manifest in that moment of time, in other words, made present, for us to walk into work tomorrow morning with rejoicing 
in us, to drive our cars with rejoicing as the spirit of how we drive, to face the battles that we may have to face. Because in those moments of time, as we rejoice in those moments, we speak a brilliant testimony to the world. So many times I've heard testimony of people's lives that have said, as I faced that battle, walking uh, through that thing in my workplace, so many people said, I don't know how you're doing it like this. I don't know how you can be so joyful in the midst of that season. That's the Christian walk where we begin to understand that in our suffering and in our persecution, we can be joyful. We can walk through it with joy. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, it says this, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Then Paul goes on to say this, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly. In other words, I will rejoice about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses. I delight in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You know, wherever we walk, whatever season we're going to be in, we are called to be a rejoicing people. People who live with rejoicing at the center of our lives. Rejoicing. Allowing the the well of joy, to be renewed daily and as to live out of that place. So today, this is how I fight my battles. Even if today's just given you a little bit of evidence of when I sing that song, I'm going to reference 2 Chronicles chapter 20. I just know theologically where I stand upon this. But I hope and beyond just giving you a bit of armory or fuel for that song, I hope it's giving you some tools for areas of life where actually they're not easy. Um, but actually, there are some principles, I think, that run all the way through Scripture that you can bring into life and you can adopt them right at this moment of, po- of time to know I can walk through that with God right at the center. The first is make a decision to stand. The second, pray, but pray corporately. The whole key about that one is praying corporately, praying together. Number three, seek a word from God. Become people who allow Scripture to infuse you so that you know you can tackle any fact with the truth of God. And then those three that work together, praise. May praise be a tool that you adopt every day of your life. Then remember, this isn't your battle. The battle belongs to the Lord. And finally, and now, rejoice. Life Highcomb, it's been great to be with you. I hope that's an equipping word for you as you walk through this week. And uh, unpack that with one another and friends as you talk these sort of things through. We're going to close this morning by praying. We pray here at Alive the same prayer every single week. We make no apologies for it because one of the most important things we can do is allow any person in here who doesn't yet know Jesus to begin that relationship with him. And to begin a relationship with Jesus, it's a very simple process. You just need to admit some stuff. One is you have to say, actually, I'm getting this wrong. I've been going in the wrong direction. And then secondly, I admit that I need a saviour. I need somebody who's going to become Lord of my life. And then you have to commit. Commit to his ways. And we've got a little prayer that begins that journey for you. What we're going to do is every one of us is going to say this prayer together. We're going to speak it out in this place. And then I'm just going to ask everyone to bow their heads. And if you've said this prayer for the very first time today, I'd love you to just raise your hand for me. Uh, I'll spot that and maybe one or two of my friends here will spot that because we've got a book to give you and we want to help you start uh, the journey uh, of a relationship with Jesus and start that really, really well. Uh, So, church, let's read this prayer together. 
Thank you, God, for loving me before I ever love you. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for me. Thank you that I can get connected to you now because you are alive today. I admit that I've lived my life without you and I've messed up. I ask for your total forgiveness and I commit myself to you. Help me to submit my life to your teaching and direction from now on. I receive you into my life and I ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. Amen. Wonderful church. I'd just love us to bow our heads. Is there anyone here today who said the prayer for the very first time and just wants to indicate to me that you would like to make a decision to follow Jesus? If so, we'd love to bring a book to you and help you start that journey really well. Is there anyone here today who wants to make that decision? Wonderful. Well, Life Hikem, it's been an honor and privilege to be with you this morning. You're doing brilliantly. Uh, so be encouraged. Sam, bless you. So, so good, Howard. Thank you so, so much for, for being with us. I'm sure there's, there's lots to take from that this morning. I encourage you as well to, in the week,